Well, in this series on the study of the Gospel of John, we've been talking about great interruptions, and that video reminds us of a great interruption that came to our church about two decades ago. We were invited to participate in a ministry down in the interior of Mexico. Some friends of ours in ministry invited us to go along, and several of our church members went down there, and we discovered an opportunity for us at Westgate to help out in the building of a church down there. It's a good little drive from here. It's a long ways. It's in a very desolate area. It's a small village of a few hundred houses, very impoverished area. And for the last uh, 20 years, you have been a part of sponsoring and helping out in that work down there. A lot of people have come to Christ through this ministry. Hector and Angie Galindo are doing a wonderful job. Uh, you would not want to be baptized where they get baptized. Uh, you kind of have to watch for snakes along the way. And... Uh, but they have baptized a number of people from that village. It's been a very difficult uh, season uh, for all of us in this pandemic, but especially for them. Medical attention and care there is almost non-existent. I would bet that you could probably find better care and attention in our facilities today than you would find down there in their little hospital. And uh, through it, they've lost a couple of members to COVID, uh, but they are just now coming back together as a church family and meeting. And they've got a big event coming up in fact, you helped build this. It's a new facility in which they can house people to come and be a part of regional gatherings. They wanted to be a hub where people could come from other places and uh, learn about how they can better follow Christ. And they'll be having a women's conference coming up May the 29th. And they asked us to be praying for them. So I wanted you to see that video, just some of the updates of what is going on there. Some of you that have been here a long time will recognize some of the furniture. Uh, those blue velvet chairs, wooden chairs, they used to be the choir chairs here many, many years ago, and they use that as part of their sanctuary. Also, uh, if you've been here more than about 12 years, you will recall we used to have blue uh, temporary pews in the very back of the sanctuary until after Hurricane Ike rearranged our sanctuary, we were able to build it all the way to the back and expand the sanctuary. But uh, anyway, they are great friends, and we are just privileged to be a part of that. How many of you just learned about our ministry in uh, Mexico today? Would you raise your hand? You just learned about it. It's kind of like that's new stuff to me. That's who you are. And every time you uh, tithe to this church, make an offering, a gift, a gift towards missions, it goes to help people just like that to experience an encounter with Christ. So we want to pray for them. And uh, so let's, let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for Hector and Angie and the ministry down in Teresa. We thank you for friends like Grant and Liliana that helped us to become acquainted with them, for the opportunities that we've had to go down and stand in that church building and worship with them, the privilege of seeing so many people come to Christ through their just perpetual persistence in going door to door to reach people with the gospel. Thank you for the ministry that they have, not just in that village, but in the entire region where people will be coming from miles and miles around to get encouragement and instruction and challenge and motivation to be inspired in their walk with you. And we do pray that this conference coming up on the 29th would be a powerful representation of who you are. And people would not only come to Christ, but they would become even more deeply committed and surrender to you fully. So thank you that you have given us the privilege of being a part of this ministry in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite stories there, there's many, but we were down there uh, in the sanctuary, and Liliana Burritz, who is a uh, former church member, they've relocated to San Antonio to be closer to grandkids. Uh, she was translating. She was the only translator that we had, and so she was going back and forth through the whole time that we were there, and 
and we were right in the middle of a service, and instead of translating from Spanish to English, she just took the Spanish, and she looked at us and did it all in Spanish. I was like, okay, I don't think I understood any of that. But it can be a, it can be a challenge to be an interpreter like that. I'll tell you what, here we are in the, the wrapping up May, and we're going to be talking about the certain Christmas gift. We're going to have a Christmas message today. Is that okay with you? Some of you sickos have already finished your Christmas shopping for this year, but uh, most of us haven't even thought about it uh, at this point. But here we are in May, and John chapter 10, it's John's fault. John takes us to Christmas in John chapter 10. He says in John chapter 10, verse 22, that then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. So what we talked about last week when Jesus was saying that he was the good shepherd, we have about a two-month span from the Feast of the Tabernacles to the festival of dedication. This is not one of the, the feasts that Jews were required to attend. This came later. Those festivals that are talked about in the Old Testament, they were required to participate, but this one came much later. It's called the Festival of Dedication, the Feast of Dedication, and it would take place in the month of Kislev, which is the equivalent of our end of November, December in the Gregorian calendar. But because of the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, in which they would use not only the sun and the moon, it moves around a little bit, but this particular festival took place on the 25th day of what we would classify as December. Now, you probably know of it as Hanukkah, and you think about what is Hanukkah, it means dedication. How did we get that? Where does it come from? Why are they celebrating that in John chapter 10? Why does John note that? Well, I think it's just pretty cool to have the Christmas connection that what we're about to hear very well could have taken place on the 25th of our December in which Jesus gave us this particular information. We probably don't think about that, do we? But this could have taken place, it would have taken place during what we know as Christmas season and possibly even on the 25th. What is the festival of dedication? Well, you go back a couple of centuries before Jesus came onto the scene and you had a very wicked dictator named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he did not have a very good epiphany. His idea was is that he would put, take over the Hebrew culture. He would completely inundate it with the Greek culture. It was Hellenistic saturation. And the idea was he would just completely subjugate all of the Jewish cultures, rituals, traditions, religion, and he would interfuse all of this Greek in there. And so what he did is he desecrated the temple, the very heart of who they were in their worship. He took um, pig meat and forced it down the throats of the priest who would not eat pork. Uh, he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple and then he set up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He took away all scripture. If anybody had scripture, it was taken from them and destroyed. They couldn't practice the Sabbath. They couldn't practice their religion. And so the people were chafing under this dictatorship of Antiochus Epiphanes. For three years, they began to rebel against that with guerrilla warfare. They were literally living apart from the city and they were fighting against Antiochus Epiphanes and they conquered him and they rededicated the temple on the 25th day of Kislev, which would be the month that we would classify closest to December. And they recommitted everything that they had lost. Judas Maccabees, maybe you've heard of that name. He was the leader. 
And they set up this eight-day celebration, and it was also called the Festival of Lights, to commemorate what God did there. So here is Jesus in Jerusalem on the 25th of Kislev, which would be like our December, and it says it was winter. John is reminding us of the context. We don't know what Jesus did between the previous part of John 10. He talked about being the good shepherd and what he is now, but he probably didn't go far from Jerusalem because every time he would come back to Jerusalem, John would say he went up to Jerusalem, which is meaning that he was traveling to Jerusalem since it was much higher than the places around there. It says that Jesus was in the temple and he was walking around in Solomon's colonnade. John is just helping us, it may not be important to any of us, but John is helping us to realize that what he is saying is historically accurate. Solomon's colonnade would be a place in which the early church would gather in the book of Acts, had these enormous 45-foot pillars with a cedar roof over it, and people would congregate there during the wintertime to stay warm, to stay sheltered from what oftentimes would be the rainy season coming in there. And as Jesus is there, Picturing Christmas, he is going to give us what we're going to call this morning a certain Christmas gift. I have to use a a little analogy here. I don't know if your family was anything like mine, but uh, we kind of had a unique tradition, uh, not by choice from us as kids, but basically whatever you had on your Christmas gift, you probably wouldn't get. Uh, My parents had this idea that somehow they would give you something that you needed or wanted, and you would get the gift, and you wouldn't need it, and you wouldn't want it, but... It wasn't on your Christmas gift, and so whatever you put down wouldn't probably show up under the tree. And uh, so when I was in college, uh, I said, what I really want for Christmas is a Bible dictionary. This is long before Google, long before apps, long before all the search features we have now. And I wanted a Bible dictionary. I was studying Bibles, planning on going into ministry. I wanted something that would help. A Bible dictionary is an enormous amount of help back then. And um, so... Kept on saying that each Christmas, no Bible dictionary. No Bi- and you think, well, why didn't you buy one yourself? I would have if I had some money. Well, finally, the girl that I was dating in college did not marry. Good thing. I'm glad I married who I'm married to. She gave me this because she heard me whine and complain about never getting a Bible dictionary. And so I got it. And so here it is, had it all these years later as a reminder of all the Christmas gifts I wanted that did not arrive. You have a Christmas list like that too, right? Where you had something on the list that you were hopeful for, but you didn't get. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a certain gift. In John chapter 10, you're going to get this if you choose to open it. And so as we look at it, We know that we have this certain gift, and then the suspense begins to build as to what gift this is. Look at verse 24. It says, the Jews were gathered around him. That literally means to surround and encircle him. And they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, you know the suspense of Christmas, right? How many of you are shakers? You get your Christmas presents and you shake them to see what's in them. Okay, some of you. And maybe when you were younger, you did this, or how many of you are searchers and that you look all over the house for those hiding spots where your gift might be hidden? Well, uh, I was interesting to, interested to hear from our kids as they became adults that they knew where all of our hiding places were. And they discovered our gifts, and they knew where to go and when to go when we weren't looking, and they would find them. Boy, here is Jesus kind of raising the suspense because he's standing there teaching, and the Jews are surrounding him, and they say, 
What are you going to tell us? Are you the Messiah? Would you tell us plainly? Now, for those of you that have been through this series over all these weeks, we're now in our 19th week of this series, would you say that Jesus has introduced himself as the Messiah so far? You have, have you been here a little bit, right? Has Jesus identified himself as the Son of God, the Savior, who takes away the sin of the world? You guys can go back and see previous services at westgatechurch.com and, and get some of this information. Yes, he has. Many times he's been telling us. You go back to, you know, one of the most specific ones is John chapter 4 when he's talking to the woman at the well and he, and he says, you know, I am the Messiah. And we think about even just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the, the, the man who was healed that was blind. And Jesus said, you are looking at the Son of God. And so through his works and all that he has done, and they're asking him, Tell us plainly. Part of the problem was they were, they were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They were looking for a military leader that would come and overthrow Rome. And so that's their question is, are, are you the guy? Are you going to be the next David that conquers the Goliath of Rome? Because that was their picture of what a Messiah was supposed to be. And he reminds them that he's already told them. Look at verses uh, 25 and following. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep are the ones who listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, we're going to delve into something incredibly important in this passage of scripture about the security of a believer. And we don't want to miss what Jesus just said. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will have the certainty of who he is. You will know that he's not just a religious teacher. You will know that he's the son of God, the Messiah, our savior. You will know that he is the only one who can save us from our sins. We go back to last week which we're talking about the good shepherd and how we mentioned that, that sheep would be in a cast position where they were hopeless and helpless. And if, if they were not assisted, they would die in that position. That's who all of us are. And Jesus is saying, I gave you all kinds of intel. Think of all the signs. If you read through the book of John, he focuses on signs that have been sign after sign after sign after sign that Jesus is communicating that he truly is the son of God, the savior, the Messiah, who has come to take away the sins of the world. So he's now beginning to reveal the gift, and we see that in verse 28. But we must make certain that we are followers of his. There is this idea that all you have to do is pray a prayer and you become a Christian. And you're going to hear me pray a prayer at the end of the service that brings you into a relationship with Christ. But it's just the beginning point. A true follower of Christ will follow Christ throughout all of their life. Yes, there'll be times of going, of doubting, of having difficulties and being frustrated and discouraged, but you will always continue to follow after God, and Jesus said that. Here's the gift I give to those who truly follow me. They recognize my voice. He says in verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. You think about that, eternal life. Jesus is revealing the gift that he is giving, eternal life. He said previously in the chapter, I give you life in all of its fullness. 
eternity. There is no end to it. That's part of our security as Christians. When he gives us eternal life, it never goes away. It never disappears. It never dissipates. It's eternal. So once you have it, you cannot lose it. And he's going to talk more about that in the verses to follow. We need eternal life because he says they will have eternal life. Going back to John 3, 16, they will have eternal life and they will not perish. Again, we're like the cast sheep. Without Christ, we will perish. The great news that we have as Christians is to share with the world is that Jesus Christ came to give us eternal life and rescue us from perishing. I've been in conversations with someone I know for over three decades about salvation doesn't believe in God at all. Don't even talk about Jesus. Doesn't even believe in God at all. And recently came to the point where I realized we would probably never see each other again. Possible, but very unlikely that we would ever see each other again. I told him, I pray for you. Didn't tell him that I've been praying for him for three decades now to become a Christian. He has if I could say this appropriately, I almost wish that I could have as much faith that he has that there isn't a God that I have faith in God because there's absolutely no doubt in his mind. He is so certain, so confident that there is no God, that he has not a worry or a concern at all about eternal life. And I was sharing with him just recently my concerns for him and that I pray for him. And he said, well, it's a thought that counts, as if your prayers don't matter, but I appreciate the thought. Jesus gives us much more than thoughts. Thoughts have power. We see what a thought can do when it's implemented. But God gives us much more than thoughts. He gives us the power to have eternal and everlasting, abundant life where we will not perish. And my concern for him and my heart was so heavy because I realized he has not a worry one about his eternal life. And somewhere in the neighborhood of no more than 30 to 40 years, he will enter into eternity. And his idea is he will just simply cease to exist. But we will exist. Scripture tells us that. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we will perish. And so Jesus says, the gift that I give you is eternal and abundant life in which you will not perish. The gift is revealed but then we see why this gift is non-refundable and unreturnable. Look with me at John chapter 10, verses 28, the third part, C, and following. It says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. You can't return this gift. If you receive Christ and follow after him, you cannot return this gift. Why? Because you didn't buy it. There is nothing you or I can do to earn our salvation. It is a gift from God. Adrian Rogers draws out a beautiful picture of this in his, in his book about what every Christian ought to know. And he says, when he had Noah build the ark, and we can be so thankful for this, he said, when Noah built the ark, he didn't say, Noah, I want you to build eight pegs on the side of the ark. And you and your wife and your three sons and your three daughters-in-law, y'all can just hang on to those pegs as the rain comes and the floods come. And as long as you hang on, you'll be safe. 
A lot of people look at salvation like that, as if somehow we're contributing to it, that as long as we hang on, we're good. But if we don't, we're done. Instead, God said, you don't have to hang on to a peg. He opened up the door and ushered them inside. Then he closed the door that no one could open so that they would be safe in the midst of the flood. That's the type of security that Jesus is talking about here when he begins to say that no one can snatch them out of my hand and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Another visual, and we'll depend on Clint and Janet to tell us exactly how to say this. They're called Russian nesting dolls for all of us who can't speak Russian, but how do you guys say this? Matryoshka. I can do it. Hey, Victor. Now, Martishka. Victor listens to us, by the way, over in Russia. And you take these dolls, and they're just, they're, they're fascinating. The, the only bad part about this illustration is that I, I just, it's hard to open the thing up. But there we go. And inside, there are six dolls. So you just keep opening them up and opening them up and opening them up. And, and this is a great illustration of what Jesus has done for us, is that we are encased in his hands and then the Father encases Jesus' hands. But even that illustration breaks down because what Jesus uses here in the original language is a neuter tense in which it's not masculine, but it means that I and the Father are one in essence, not one in person. And the Trinity is very confusing. I understand that. What he is saying is we are one that completely, you remember the people that were standing around the bending? completely encircle you, surround you, secure you. And interesting enough, the, the, the original of these dolls, there's a, an original form in which the, the woman is dressed in peasant attire. We are all peasants until we come to know Christ. We're paupers, spiritually destitute. But when we surrender our life to Christ and follow him, we become children of God with all the rights and privileges therein. It's non-refundable because you didn't get it. And I know a lot of you, when we're talking about Christmas, I know exactly what you do at Christmas. I do the same thing. You get a gift from somebody and you say, oh, wow, that is so nice. Love it. This is great. And if the balloon was up behind your head, telling what it is, I'm returning this thing. It's going back. So we're, we're thinking, you know, I can cash this in. But you know what? You cannot return the gift of eternal life because you didn't buy it. You don't have the receipt. You can't even get in-store credit. Jesus paid for all of it. And that's what he wants us to see here. And it's... It's non-returnable because only an idiot would try. When Jesus is saying, I give you life in all of its fullness, if you are a true follower of Christ, you have come to experience the presence of God in your life, the power, the peace, the recognition that you have been forgiven of all of your sins. No one in their right mind would ever want to return that. And I know it gets so confusing sometimes as we, we talk about the security of our salvation. The security of our salvation is there. The only question is, have you placed your trust in Christ? 
not placing your trust in a prayer that you prayed, not placing your trust in the works or your religion, but you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. The word that Jesus uses there is a double negative in the original language. No, never, 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 ever could anyone snatch you out of my hand. Imagine what our lives would be like if we lived with that kind of security. We're inundated with self-doubt and discouragement and low self-esteem, and we feel unworthy. What if we embrace the fact that Jesus is never going to let us go? Even in all of our sinfulness, even in our perpetual stumblings and failings, he's never going to let us go. He's not going to say, oh, man, that was more than I thought, and there you go. What if we lived with that kind of security? How would you live if you had Jeff Bezos' salary? You'd be pretty financially secure, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have a need one to worry about financially. What if you translated that to a million times what he has spiritually? Jesus will provide for our needs according to, what did Paul say? According to his unlimited riches in Christ, a bottomless pit. So we come to the the end of this and we ask the question, have you received this incalculable gift, very strategically chosen word. Incalculable means you cannot calculate it. There is not a computer, a math equation. There's not a strategy, a way, an idea in which you can ever compute what we've been given through Christ. Have you received that? And have you shared that? After I was telling you about my friend that is so disinterested in spiritual things. And I have to tell you, just personally, I'm a pastor, and you probably think people are always coming to Christ, that I just step into the room and they say, what must we do to be saved? (laughs) But I'll tell you, it's pretty much the opposite. I mean, it just pains me that so few people have come to Christ. So few lives have been changed because of my life. And as I was thinking about that, that I, I literally had no power over him to influence him for the kingdom. And I thought, what could I have said? What could I have done differently over all these decades? And then there was something that was wrestling inside of me because our hearts are so dark, our motives are so twisted. I thought, am I more concerned that I wasn't successful at leading him to Christ or am I more brokenhearted that unless something changes, he will enter into eternity without Christ. And I had to wrestle with that twisted mind, that maybe I was more concerned that I wasn't being successful as a Christian. I think for some of us, we need to pray that God would reactivate our hurter, that we would hurt for people without Christ. This last weekend, we were with our our last part of this last week, we were with our granddaughters, and I was over at Walgreens, and when you're a grandparent, there's just something about money that doesn't matter. You know, you just buy them gifts. But, you know, I knew they had to fly back, and I was in Walgreens, which is a horrible place to shop, but anyway, I was in Walgreens picking up some things, and I, I saw these little balls, little, 
little soft things that puff up like a frog, you know, and it has light inside of it. And I just thought, that's just too fun to pass up. It's only six bucks. And, and so I got it for him. I took it home, but there's only one. I have three granddaughters. The youngest one, you know, she hasn't figured out even the concept of sharing, no, no idea. And the other two are still working on it. So I came in and I said, I got you a special present. It's called, it's not called this, I made it up. It's called a share ball. You have to share it. Not one for each of them, but you have to share it with each other. And when you share it, then you say something nice to the other person as you give it to them. Great idea, Pappy. Until it's time to share. <laughs> it's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. Pulling on the share ball. Share balls are designed. Made it up. If anybody wants to patent it, share ball. Feel free to buy anything you want and call it a share bat or a share ball or whatever. Share balls are designed to be shared. The gospel is designed to be shared. Are we sharing it? And if we're not, we really need to get on our knees and say, why not? Because something is wrong with us spiritually. If the greatest news, the greatest gift, the most certain gift has been given to us and we're not moved enough to share that with other people. And so I want to ask, have you received this incalculable gift, and have you shared it with others? In a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer, and if you've never received this incalculable gift, then I want you to, to receive it. Open it. Make this your Christmas day. Receive the gift of eternal and abundant life by surrendering your life to Christ. And if you're a Christian and you got the share ball so stuffed in your back pocket that you can't even reach it yourself, I want you to pray and say, God, show me why am I not sharing this great news with other people? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as we hear these brief passages of Scripture, they remind us of the certainty we have of your love. The gift of eternal life is the great demonstration of your love for us. That you have given us something that can never be taken from us. Lord, we will lose so many things in our life. But this is something that we will never lose. So I pray that if anyone in here today, listening online, has never received you as Lord and Savior, surrendered fully their life to you, they would pray a prayer of invitation inviting you into their lives and that they would truly follow hard after you with everything that they have. Might they pray a prayer similar to this? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us that have already embraced this certain gift, this privileged gift of eternal life, cause us to be disseminators of that good news everywhere we turn. Lord, you know how busy our lives are, but you look and say so. May it not be our busyness, May it not be our fear. May it not be our uncertainty of how we share. But God, just out of love for you, 
and love for others, we would find ourselves sharing that share ball with others, telling them how they can find the Savior with this certain gift. Lord, I pray for our church. I look up at our baptistry and recognize it's only been filled once since the pandemic. What's wrong? What's wrong with us, God? What's wrong? People are dying all around us without the certainty of salvation. And we wonder where we're going to eat, what we're going to watch on television, where we're going to go on vacation. God, break us. We have prayed for spiritual awakening. Make us open to whatever you want to do in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We get to celebrate this certain gift now through the, the Lord's Supper. And so, uh, Deacons, if you would come and go ahead and prepare the elements. And I recognize we're still in the pandemic. Goodness gracious, we have to close down our high school for a few days just because of another little outbreak. So we're going to invite you if you... If you don't mind, if you could wear a mask to come up and receive the elements. We have some masks out in the, the atrium if you don't have one. And if you um, don't want to do that, you can, you can join us anyway. This is, this is for anybody that has received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and they're seeking to follow hard after him. And that you are living a fully repented life. You know, we don't want to just jump into this and say, there's sin going on in your life, but you're not going to let it go. If that's where you are, you just need to stay where you are and pray it through. This is for people that are genuinely seeking God and have a repentant way of doing that. And uh, so you have two cups when you come up here to, to grab hold of it and just recognize you just kind of turn the top cup. Don't just jerk on it, but just turn it gently and the juice will come out and then you can put the, the wafer in your hand and then put the juice cup back in the empty cup. And it's a little bit easier to navigate. But whenever you are ready, just make your way up to the front and our deacons will assist you in getting the elements.
was so intentional to tell you how to get the wafer out, and I spilled the juice all over my hand. Just sat there and looked at it. And reminded me, maybe, maybe we do need to have the blood spilled in our hands to be reminded of the gift that we've received. Maybe it's a reminder that the blood of Christ needs to be spilled on other people, not just conveniently and neatly received by us. It was messy when Jesus died for us, when he gave us a certain gift, when he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So Larry, would you lead us in a prayer before we receive these elements today? Representations of the spilled blood so that we might have the certainty of eternal life and the certainty that when we share that certainty of eternal life with other people that they too can have the certainty of eternal life and Jesus said remember me and what I've done for you every time you drink this Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Now as we conclude with this final song, I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you would love, need someone to pray with you, I'll be over at the cross and certainly our staff will be out in the atrium. We'll have one of our staff members over by the prayer benches if you want to pray over there. Let's stand and respond to God as we might sense his leadership now.